Let's pray. Father, we thank you for just your mercy upon us. We acknowledge how great you are and how worthy you are and how unworthy we are. But you love us and you gave your son to die for us. And we will spend eternity with you as we trust in you, as we take your son as our savior. Thank you, Lord, for your love, your care, and your greatness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you know, could we, could I have these on here? Thank you. You know, all throughout human history, we see mankind fighting against the rule and authority of God. Not wanting or willing to acknowledge God as the creator or supreme authority of our world. Now, you know, to some degree, it exists in all of us as fallen human beings, born in a sin nature, with a sin nature. You know, we want to have our own way. We think of ourselves first. We have wrong desires we really don't want to give our allegiance to others, but we see it in an even more pronounced way in some world rulers, especially those who forbid their people to worship God. And we see renowned scholars writing books and traveling across the country and even internationally to convince as many people as they can that the God of the Bible doesn't even exist. And then in other places in the world, <clears throat> we see people that are really serious about serving God, the God that they serve, and they adhere to very, very strict rules in their religion, and they watch out for others who's not, who aren't keeping those rules, but yet they reject the belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Savior and the Redeemer. Now, why is it that some people are so adamantly or fanatically against the idea of the God of the Bible? Well, you know, some earthly rulers, they see God as their competition because they want all allegiance and devotion to come to them. And that's why in some countries, in some, you know, systems, some... Uh, royal systems, they have to give allegiance to their king as God. They want all worship coming to them. So all through history, we have people who are competing with God for the people's allegiance, the worship. They're, they're trying to cut God down, cut him out. Some hate the idea of an all-powerful creator, ruler, and judge over mankind. And I think that some who fight the hardest against a belief in God are possibly doing it to convince themselves that there is no God. Because deep down inside, I think that so many have this real sense that there has to be some ultimate intelligent power and authority behind this amazing, well-tuned creation that supports life. How can you get away from that? I think you have to convince yourself that there is no God. And this is where the book of Revelation comes into the picture. This book is such a wonderful gift 
for us to get a good picture of reality. You know, Revelation begins with this powerful vision of the risen, glorious Christ telling the Apostle John to write down his vision and then send seven letters to seven churches, a letter to each church in the ancient Roman Empire. And in this passage, as we read through this, Christ is seen as the absolute ruler over the churches. He is the head, and we churches are his body on earth. And then the Apostle John is told to come up here, and immediately he is in the Spirit, and he has this overwhelming vision as he's peering into the very throne room of God. And he sees this image of this majestic, glorious, splendid, father of all creation, ruler of all time and the whole world. And he sees heavenly creatures surrounding the throne, continually worshiping this glorious king. And then John the Apostle says this, From the throne come flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. And he says that in front of the throne there are seven blazing lamps. And it represents the sevenfold spirit of God. That's God's presence and work among humans and in the world. And all of these different heavenly types of creatures. <clears throat> and when they describe them, they're things that it's hard to even imagine. And they're all giving glory to God and thanks to him who sits on the throne. And then... At the end of chapter 4, we're not moving here. There you go, thank you. At the end of chapter 4, it says, You are worthy, all these heavenly creatures, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Quite a bit of difference from what happens on earth, isn't it? Now, this is the kind of information here that we get from the scriptures that we just went through in the beginning of the book of Revelation. This is the kind of information that we have to keep in our minds as we live in a world where so many are trying to diminish God or erase God or make him into something that removes his power and glory and authority. Because in reality, in truth, God is the king of all creation. And he is the judge of all mankind. We have to answer to him. No matter what any other famous celebrity or highly educated scholar tells us, we will have to answer to God. And so will that scholar. Now John also saw the king of all creation holding a scroll in his right hand. It had seven seals that you had to break the seals and open the, to open the scroll. And the scroll contained God's plan to redeem back and, and recapture his creation from those who had hijacked it for evil purposes. You see, the earth wasn't created to be like it is today. I know you, you know that. Satan came in and beguiled mankind, and sin has corrupted the earth and all of its institutions, 
All of God's beautiful, sinless creation has been corrupted because of sin. And that scroll that was in the right hand of God was like God's deed to the earth and contained his plan to win back the earth or to take it back from the evil characters or people who are trying to rule instead of him. And he's going to renew it into the eternal kingdom of God. But in, in that picture in Revelation, <clears throat> where the, the king on the throne, where God the Father on the throne is holding that scroll, he had it right there. If they would open it, he could start his plan. They couldn't find anyone worthy enough to break the seals and open it. And it says they searched all through heaven and earth to find one who was worthy to break the seals of the scroll and open the scroll God's scroll for the plan to reclaim his earth. And you know, when it says that, <clears throat> it says, it didn't say John was disappointed, like, oh. It says he wept. He wept. It was like, it's hopeless. This was our only hope, and it's hopeless. But then one of the heavenly creatures said to John, went to the cross and was slain for our sins, he begins to break the seal, to op- break the seals to open the scroll. And he's the only one worthy to do it. And then as he breaks the seals, with each broken seal comes this, a, a piece of God's judgment upon the earth for all the wickedness that has been, you know, taken and, and brought forth. And we see conquest and battles and wars and famine. We see widespread death through sword, famine, and plague. One seal showed people who had been martyred for the, for the cause of Christ. And it says they were the souls under the altar. And in heaven they were crying out to God for him to avenge their blood. When will you avenge our blood, O Father? And he said he had just to wait a little longer until the full number of martyrs had, been given, their, had given their lives. And then when the sixth seal was broken, parts of creation began crumbling. Stars were falling. You know, things were coming down from the sky. The mountains were crumbling. The earth, the rocks were coming down. And the rich and the mighty and the princes and generals and kings of the earth were seeking cover. They were the ones running most scared. And they called out, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. And we see there that this is God beginning to take back his creation. Hide us from the wrath of the Lamb and the one who sits on the throne. But you see, in all of that, these sealed judgments, that's just the beginning of God's end-time judgment upon the wicked of the earth. Those sealed judgments are going to be the least severe of God's end-time judgments upon the earth. Because we still have the trumpet and bowl judgments to come. And in this we can see, we can see it was the powerful of the earth who were so scared because they had gone in the opposite direction of what God wanted them to. They themselves 
had taken credit for what was on the earth. And we can see how dangerous it is from that to allow ourselves to be carried away by the things of the earth, the pleasures of the earth, the, the, the things of the world that are attractive to us. We've got to be careful that we're not carried away further away from God. <clears throat> and it's not that we can't enjoy things in this world. It's just that as we are living in this world, we have to guard our hearts that it doesn't move us away from our devotion to God. We have to watch ourselves, not to become caught up in pursuits or attitudes or even with circles of friends that hinders our walk with God. And it was the mighty and the rich and the powerful and the, the rulers and the, the generals and the commanders that were running to hide in caves. Save us from the wrath of the Lamb. Because, you see, they had put all their eggs in the basket of, we're going to serve me. And then in chapter 7, we meet the followers of Christ who were slain in the end-time great tribulation. These people had given their lives. They had gone all the way and, and risked their lives and then sacrificed their lives to be faithful to Christ. And when we see them in heaven, in that chapter 7, guess how we meet them? They were the ones who were killed and sacrificed. We meet them wearing robes of champions and waving palm branches enthusiastically, joyously singing and rejoicing before the throne of God. We don't see them as powerless, you know, defeated, rejected people. They are with the, the angels and the heavenly creatures singing and worshiping with the greatness of God. They refused to deny Christ. They paid for it with their lives. And here they are in the presence of God and the Lamb, and they're singing songs of victory. And they're wearing robes of champions. Now, you know, it can be frightening, of course, when we think about... <clears throat> dying for the Lord, sacrificing our lives for the sake of the gospel. And no one looks forward, you know, to, to suffering and giving up your life. But think of the joyous celebration at the throne of God. I think that's what we have to keep our minds on. Go a little bit past the suffering and think of the joyous celebration that these people are doing, waving these palm branches you know, in this, I think of those 21 Egyptian Coptic Christians back in 2015. They were taken captive by ISIS. And you saw them. They were all lined up on the beach. They were all kneeling down. And each one had a murderer behind them with a knife or sword or whatever they did, cutting off their heads. That was in Libya. Each one was beheaded for their faith in Christ. And it was such a sad thing to see. It was such a horrible picture. And one wife of one of the captives said, about her husband, said, he kept the faith, and he was martyred in the name of Christ. His faith was very strong. I'm proud of him. He has lifted our heads up and honored us and all the Christians. 
And another person said of her brother that was involved in that, those 21. She said, I'm very happy that my brother is in heaven with Jesus now. I loved my brother when he was alive on the earth, but now I love him more than before. He was martyred in the name of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and you know, I think of those 21 the horrible picture that we, we have in our minds of those 21 kneeling down and those people behind them ready to cut off their heads. And I think of those 21 now standing in front of God's throne and before the Lamb wearing the, right, the white robes of champions and waving the palm branches and celebrating the Lamb as they sing praise to the Father and the Lamb. And so now we no longer have to picture them <clears throat> as these sorrowful captives. But now we can picture them as joyous, God-filled, totally redeemed saints of God, celebrating and worshiping God. They're happier than we are. They're thrilled now in the presence of God. And so now we come to the seventh seal in our journey through the book of Revelation. And when it is broken... The seventh seal allows the, the scroll to open because that was holding the scroll closed. And that's going to lead to the trumpet judgments, the next level of God's judgments. And the first angel sounds his trumpet and says, Hail and fire mixed with blood are hurled upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees and the green grass. And the second angel sounds his trumpet a huge mountain all ablaze is thrown into the sea. A third of the sea is turned to blood. A third of the living sea creatures die. A third of the ships are destroyed. The third angel sounds his trumpet. And a great star blazing like a torch falls from the sky. A third of the rivers and springs of water turn bitter, causing many to die. They can't drink the water. The fourth angel sounds his trumpet. A third of the sun, moon, and stars turned dark a third of the day and night was without light and the fifth angel sounds his trumpet a star falls to the sky from the sky to the earth that star was some kind of a creature it was given the key to the abyss and smoke rose up from the abyss like gigantic furnace locusts coming out of the smoke they had the power to sting like scorpions they tortured the enemies of God for five months and people who were being stung by those scorpions were begging to die, but death eluded them. It says the locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. They had breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like chariots rushing into battle. And they caused great panic, fear, and suffering. Trumpet judgments. And it said, when the sixth angel sounded his trumpet, there were four angels that had been stationed by the great river Euphrates, and they were released to kill a third of mankind. And these four angels, they sent out mounted troops, unable to be counted. Their breastplates were fiery red. The horses' heads looked like the heads of lions. Out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. 
A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur. All of this is God's dealing with sin in the end time. But now I want to read to you the very end of chapter 9. And this tells us what happens at the end of the trumpet judgments. 9, 20, and 21. It says, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of, their, of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. <clears throat> now we see here that as we near the end of this age, according to what has been written we see mankind moving further and further away from God. And people's hearts are getting harder and harder against God. Their hearts are not soft to God or spiritual things. And they're so deep into their rebellion and into their hatred of God that even these horrific judgments, these judgments of severe pain and horror, they're not enough to convince them to come back to God or to turn to God. And not only do they refuse to turn in repentance to God, it says they refuse <clears throat> to quit. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stones, and wood. And these demons and idols, you know, coming up from the pit, were, were stinging them and causing them suffering, but they still worship the demonic demons and, and, and creatures. Scores and scores of people are being killed by these judgments. Many more are being attacked and not killed, wishing they could be killed. Now, at this point, you know, we had seen earlier in Revelation that God had sealed, you know, his servants so they would be protected from his judgments. So it seems that the judgments upon the people from God were not coming upon God's people. But they were susceptible to the attacks from the enemies of God. We saw that many were martyred for the faith. And that's where we get the martyrs of the great tribulation. The ones in white robes, waving palm branches in celebration. But the seal of God on their forehead gives them gives them protection from the plagues of men, <clears throat> or the plagues that God is putting upon men. And then now we're going to end with looking briefly at chapter 10. Chapter 10 is an interlude between the sixth trumpet and the seventh and final trumpet. And that final trumpet will move us into the bold judgments. But chapter 10 is a commission to the church. It is good news for the church as John is told about the unfolding plan of God. But it's also a commission to the church as far as how we fit into God's plan and what we are to do. So if you would look in chapter 10 and verses 1 through 4. Whoops, sorry. Trying to 
trying to get back to one. I was kind of, I was kind of fighting Matthew back there. <clears throat> he says, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun, and his legs were like fiery pillars. Still not moving at Matthew, just go to the next. He was holding a little scroll, which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, this gigantic angel. And he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven say, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. This angel comes down in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. That rainbow was a sign from God, you know, a sign of mercy from God when he flooded the earth. He descends as a, an angel from God. The cloud points to God's glory. The rainbow encircles the throne, also God's sign of peace. And so we have God's glory and his mercy. The cloud is for his glory. The rainbow is for his mercy. And that's what that angel represents, God's glory and mercy. His face is like the sun. Christ's face was like the sun in his transfiguration. The angel represents the presence of God, his glory and power, his mercy and deliverance. He brings the scroll that contains God's plan of reclaiming his creation. One foot on the land, one foot on the water, shows his authority over all creation. So we're seeing in this, as we see these images of God and the angel coming down to represent him, in all these matters, we see that God is in complete control. He's the only authority, the only true top authority. It says his shout is like the lion's roar. More power and authority. At his shout, seven thunders speak. Those thunders would be the judgments that are about to come upon the earth. And John is told, don't write them down. Just seal them up. So what we have here in chapter 10 is this mighty angel. And he is the overwhelming, powerful presence of God. Full of glory and strength. Judging evil, delivering his people. And the thunders represent the judgment upon evil, but John is told not to write those. It shows us in the end here, as man is so destructive and man is so, so determined to be his own ruler and not to turn to God, it shows us that everything God is doing, he is in control. And he is the one that has the ultimate power. And so anything that happens, if you have 21 Christians standing there ready to be killed, kneeling on the beach, God is in control. They're waving palm branches. They're celebrating. And the ones who killed them, they won't be celebrating unless they turn to Christ. God is in control of all things 
and he will execute his plan according to his timing. Now, in verses 5 through 7, it says, Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven, like he's making an, taking an oath. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that is in it, and said, There will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. We're getting serious here. I mean, things are ready to roll. You know, just about forever, people have cried out to God, When, Lord, when will you avenge us? When will you avenge your people? And all during that time, mockers have cried out, Where's the promise of his coming? But here we see, The angel is about to sound his trumpet. The mystery of God will be accomplished. And then we end with God's instruction to John in verses 8 through 11. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who was standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. <clears throat> then I was told, you must prophesy again in many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Or about many people nations, languages, and kings. John is told to take the scroll and eat it. And it, it talks of him eating it. You know, to us, there's, there's symbol, symbolism in there. He's to internalize it. It's to become a part of who he is. It's God's message. It's what God's plan is for the earth. And John is going to be the one to get that message out. He's going to prophesy. He's going to preach. It's going to be part of him. And God tells him to make it work in his life. It says it was sweet in the mouth, but sour in the stomach. It's going to be both suffering, you know, the sour part, <clears throat> excuse me, but the church will emerge triumphant. There will be sweetness. You know, the, the 21 Coptic Christians who went through that suffering, their families have suffered all for the sake of the gospel. But the 21 are safe, fulfilled, celebrating, rejoicing, praising with all the creatures, all those heavenly creatures. So what are we left with today? Well, we can try to avoid rejection in our, in our society by adopting the ways and values and attitudes of the world. You know, we can just join in with all those who don't believe in God. 
We can spend all of our time trying to become wealthy and famous and exalted by the world. That's, that's kind of fun. We can question everything in the Bible because we're so much smarter than to believe such an old book. <clears throat> or we can spend some time searching the scriptures which God has given to us for our benefit to really get to know and understand who God is in his ways and to know what is really truly valuable and what, what are things that we should just pass on by. We can look into the life of Jesus and try to learn about him and why he tells us to be humble and kind and not to just go after all the wealth we can or try to get all the power we can. Why he tells us to store up our treasures in heaven and not on this earth when it looks so tempting to get all of our treasures down here. And we can humbly accept God's truth that he is the eternal God. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. His ways will bring us true happiness, true friendships, true peace. It is our choice, isn't it? You know, we can devote ourselves totally to the here and now, or we can store treasures in heaven. We can cry out to the rocks to hide us from the wrath of the Lamb, or we can wear the robes of champions and wave the palm branches and celebrate God's victory. It's everyone's choice. We give up a little bit here in order to get a lot in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the book of Revelation. It has some um, parts that are hard to understand, but yet we, it know, we know it teaches us your power, glory, authority, your greatness. And Father, we thank you because it just shows us <clears throat> that you have everything in control and that you have the end planned out already and you are going to exalt your servants, those who follow you. And we know that if we sacrifice now, we're going to be greatly rewarded in the hereafter. And so, Father, may we carry that message with us and may we give it to others and may we see many people come to know you so that there'll be so many more rejoicing in the gates of heaven, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.